Okay, so I want to dive into the context that I think many of us are at right now as we've together as a church family taken on the fasting and feasting challenge and recognize for a moment here that there's a challenge. If, if you have fasted from anything, sweet screens, whatever it may be, whatever you came up with between you and the Lord, want to recognize that there's a challenge in it. Like, and if there's no challenge at all, you, you, you kind of set the bar low, you know? <laughs> uh, so you're still, you can still adjust if you want. Uh, but there, there, there is supposed to be challenge. It's part of the, the good fruit of it. it. It helps to awaken and reawaken our need for God to fill those places. So if there's no challenge whatsoever, then you know, how are we awakening that hunger for God? So it can be hard, and that's, that's good. Especially because if you have said no to anything right now, if you've restricted yourself from anything, in some ways you are way outside the cultural norm and narrative of what you should do with your life with your desires, with your impulses. The struggle is real to say no to really anything, screens, sweets, whatever it may be, because we do live 100% or 98%, a large percent, in a culture that teaches instant gratification. And constant gratification. gratification. Quick and easy pleasures, drive-through, grab-and-go, Ring, ding, and ping for a quick hit all day long with something. Our culture tells us to consume our way to happiness. And that any restrictions on those impulses or feelings are oppressive. I read an article this week that said as much, and I don't want to go into all the details, we'll try to be focused in on our time, but I was truly shocked. It came up as one of the first things on a Google search that shouldn't have brought this up. And, and, and the message was, any restriction on your impulses is, is not good for you. I mean, it was very interesting. I was shuttled to this by Google. Like, if you don't think Google's got a narrative they're pushing, wake up. Like, this article had almost, almost nothing to do with whatsoever with what I searched. And the answer to my search is, oh, any restriction on your impulses is, is oppressive. It's not good for you. I was like, wow. Now, that's, that's a message. It's a message that's finding me when I'm not looking for it. It's a message that we're confronted with with every single advertisement, almost every single advertisement. I mean, just assess next time you're watching an advertisement. Is it encouraging you to slow down, think about it, ponder the pros and cons, be patient, make a wise decision? No way. 
It's all about trying to capitalize on an impulse of, oh, I need it now, and I deserve it, and I can have it now. I just got to get over a little bit of money, and I will consume right now, and, and, and I'll, I'll feel better. I'll satisfy, whether it's food or a car. I mean, whether it's five bucks or 50,000, it's just don't think about it. Just do it right now. You deserve it. And, and we're taught a constant consumption and restricting our impulses in any way is bad and oppressive. So now when you put God into the situation, oh man, that guy, just get rid of him altogether because he's just all about no. He's all about restriction. He's all about trying to hold you back from having a good time. So let's, let's, let's dive into that this morning. The biblical picture is that self-control is actually really cool. Self-control is actually really healthy for the soul. Yes, it might entail a no for the moment to a fleeting impulsive pleasure that's destructive to your soul anyways, but it's because you want something far better, long-lasting, God-honoring joy. What what we want to do this morning in in a nutshell is, is to try to paint the biblical picture about self-control, which if any of us are exercising in that, that fast right now, we're, we're going to have to look into this idea of self-control. But even if you're not entering into the fast, self-control is esteemed in the Bible as the pathway to greatest joy. It's not the picture that our world says, well, anything you say no to, oh, you've restricted yourself, man, that's oppressive. That is a a lie so clever it sounds like truth, like Ephesians 4 says. So let's take a a little uh, adventure here, strategic adventure, (laughs) through a few key scriptures about self-control, fasting, saying no, joy. Matthew 4, 2-4, famously, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It says in Matthew 2 that after that time he was hungry. I was like, Okay, well, good. The Bible's honest. Like 40 days and 40, he was a human after all. 40 days and 40 nights. And just to be clear, he's fully God in the flesh. We're not saying Jesus was just a man, not at all. Fully God, God incarnate, God the Son in the flesh. But as Ephesians 2 says, he self-emptied. He kenos, kenosis, he self-emptied himself to, at the same time, not, not hold on to that divinity, that equality with the Father that he had in heaven. And he came and he humbled himself, took on the form of a human and became a servant even unto death. So that kind of human. He feels everything. Feels all the temptations. Feels hunger. Feels heat. Feels thirst. Feels pain. Feels betrayal. Feels rejection. He has emotions. So he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And then, oh, wouldn't you know it, at your weakest moment, the devil comes. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So he's hitting him with both a a deep question about his identity. Are you really the son of God? devil loves to come and do that. Are you really a child of God? Does God really love you? Does God really have promises for you? Is God really going to take care of you? Does God really have favor upon your life? Come on. If so, you could show it right now. 
So he tempts around identity and then around those, those momentary felt needs. He's hungry. It's real. Is there anything wrong with that? It's biological. He's hungry and thirsty. After 40 days, that's going to be shouting. So the devil tempts him with that food so that the immediate satiation of desire can be met. Right there. And Jesus' response, famously, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. So Jesus is demonstrating self-control in the moment he resists the devil's temptation. How? He says no to a current real desire, and this is not a sinful desire. This is not a bad desire to when you feel hunger and thirst, that's not, oh, you're sinning. No, there's, there's deep biology there. But he says no to that current desire. Why? Because he has a better yes. He says no for a better yes. And in a nutshell, that's the whole thing right there. You want to have the power, the motivation to say no? Find a better yes. His better yes in that moment, in that fast, is... He says it right there. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus' better yes is the life found in connection with God. So even though I'm hungry right now, Jesus says, even though I'm thirsty right now, I am saying no to this because I have a better yes of the life found in God. He wants to fast in order to feast on God's presence. It's the communion with God. It's the being able to hear God, listen to God, respond to God, say yes to God, that fellowship that brings life to the soul. That Jesus says, that's better, so I say no to this temptation. So what I want us to be encouraged by is that the Bible never paints a picture of self-control as this kind of sadistic, I'm just going to go through it for the sake of pain so I can maybe feel a little bit better about myself as a self-righteous religious person. Zero percent. It's about greater joy. It's about a greater joy that honors God and brings God glory as the ultimate treasure of the soul. He is the better yes. And so sometimes fasting is good for the soul because we need to cleanse out a lot of those little yeses, those inferior yeses that we've been saying yes to that ultimately don't satisfy the soul and don't honor God as the source of, of, of our soul satisfaction. And so fasting sometimes, whatever it may be from, self-control in life, that is a fast, to say no. So, sorry, bad news. This fast that we're on is supposed to become a lifestyle of self-control where we say no to those little yeses, those inferior yeses, because we have a better, bigger, God-honoring, soul-satisfying yes. And that's what we want to be our life to be about. Hmm. Isaiah 55, which 
which Don read for us last week and talked about it. We've got to come back to it one more time because it's all of this in a nutshell. Verses 1 to 2, God is talking. And here's the gospel. Whoever says the Old Testament is not line up with the new <laughs> hasn't read this. This is an unbelievably powerful altar call right here. From God to the people of Israel. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and you will delight yourself in the richest of fare. Where in there is it that kind of sadistic, God just wants to hold you back from pleasure, he just wants you to say no and grit your way through it so you can feel self-righteous about not wanting any pleasure in life? Not at all. God's appeal is saying, a relationship with me is the richest affair, the biggest and best, yes. So stop being fools that eat moldy bread, bread that doesn't satisfy when I am the richest affair. I am the marrow and fatness that the soul is made for. That's Psalm 63, 5. I am that marrow and fatness meal, the richest meal the soul could imagine is the meal of God. He is the river of, of delights. He is the feast of abundance. And that's God's appeal. That's God's gospel invitation. Is not, oh, say no to all these things because I'm this mean taskmaster that wants to hold you back from real fun. No. So just cleanse our minds. God, cleanse our minds that that, that is in any way associated with you, that idea that, that you want to restrict us from joy. You want to hold us back from the good life. No. God's, God's call, his invitation, his gospel invitation is stop saying yes to those little yeses that are fleeting and destructive and not satisfying and follow your true hunger and thirst to that which satisfies your soul more than anything else. By the way, it's me. And I get glory when you come after me in that way. So one of the life-transforming truths for us is when we heard a, a preacher back when we were 19, 20 years old, 18 maybe even, I don't know, we're old, long time ago. Speak for yourself. I'm old, you're getting younger. John Piper has this amazing phrase. God is most glorified in us. I want to make sure I don't mess it up. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him unbelievable truth. It's Isaiah 55 right here. It's saying, no, you, you got it wrong. If in any way, which we did, in any way you think that following God is, is about restricting your life from goodness and joy and satisfaction. You just don't understand the heart of God yet. He, he quotes C.S. Lewis in that sermon that says, it's, it's, it's because we're like children who are content to roll around in the, in the mud of the slums because we don't even know what it's like yet to have a holiday at the sea. That's God's gospel. 
Stop rolling around in, in, in the mud of the slum. Stop eating the food that doesn't satisfy. Come and eat the richest of fare. And in that, God is glorified as the greatest treasure. There's nothing more God-honoring we could do than say, God, my soul is satisfied in you. Because there's a good impulse in us. We're like, well, maybe I shouldn't. It's good but misguided. That says, well, I, I don't know, maybe my pursuit of joy, isn't that just kind of self-centered? And, and so, so to, you know, if I'm about God's glory and honoring God, then that feels like there's a disconnect with wanting to honor God, but at the same time wanting to be satisfied in my soul. And, and Piper uses that phrase, it's just beautiful to say there is no disconnect one at, at all. In fact, they are one and the same. The most God-glorifying thing you could possibly do is be able to say, God, I am satisfied in you more than anything else. You are the marrow and fatness for my soul. You are the river of delights. In your house, I feast on the abundance. It's putting God at the top of the hierarchy of value, saying there is nothing greater, more satisfying, more awesome, more worthy of worship, honor, and praise than knowing God. That glorifies God more than anything you could possibly do, especially more than some kind of weird religious, I'm going to restrict all sorts of joy and value and, and kind of just hate life and be grumpy because I've just said no to everything and now I'm self-righteous. It doesn't honor God. It kind of honors you as the powerful one, right? This is just about exactly what he's saying. I just felt like God wanted me to use this terminology. He is the ultimate pleasure source. Amen. Good work. Write that down. His presence. We were made to cultivate an awareness and a living in his presence. as we walk with him, as we use the tools that he's given us, saying scriptures, abiding in his word, worship, because he is, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. We are made to be people who are overflowing with his presence, like John 7 and John 4 talk about. We are made to be overflowing, and that overflowing presence is the antidote, if you will, to sin. Because there's an awareness that arises in you. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. As we let go of sin and are drawn towards him, let go of, and sin, it doesn't have to be big overt things. It's just lesser sources of joy. It can be. It can be big things. But for the most part, and in every case, sin is always an imposter and a lesser source of joy. 
And so an awareness of his presence is, it's how we turn on a dime. It's how we turn on a dime when we're going in another way. When he, we feel his spirit drawing us. I can tangibly, palpably feel the absence of his presence when I'm grumbling, when I'm complaining, when I'm just irritated and I want to talk bad about somebody because they just made me so mad. Oh, yeah, we're human every day, every day. And if we don't admit and, and if we're not honest about the places that need his life, then we'll never experience resurrection life and we won't be ablaze with the power of the testimony and the power of the risen king who transforms all of these dead places into life. So I just want to throw that out there, that he is the ultimate pleasure source. And as you grow in meditating in script, on scripture, in worshiping and in cultivating an awareness of his presence and a closeness to him, just like Jesus did. This is 100% biblical. Everything that Jesus did, he said, I just do what I see the Father doing. John 15, we're meant to abide in the vine. We're meant to abide in him every moment. We're meant to taste and see that he is good, but there's something within me that when there's something that I'm not supposed to be doing, that God is bringing revelation to, like Ephesians 1 talks about. He opens the eyes of our hearts to show us the inferior ways, the lesser joys that we're settling for. I just want to encourage us to grow in cultivating an awareness of his presence because that is the biggest thing. I'm going to be really honest with you. Well, that's new. Well, <laughs> it's really important. There's a, there are a lot of pastors and people in leadership, they just pretend that they don't struggle. That's just garbage. That's garbage. And if you don't struggle, well, you don't have the resurrection life of Jesus within you. And what king do you serve and what gospel do you preach? The God who came to save the sinners, to seek and save that which was lost. And he's transforming me and you day by day from one degree of glory to another by his spirit, right? So, um, I'm feisty. And um, sometimes, and I'm not saying I'm not going to do this all the time, because sometimes just a word just hits the spot. You know what I'm talking about? Like a curse word. I'm just being honest with you. I'm being dead honest, right? And we've gone back and forth over our years. We said zero bad words ever. We were like super passionate, way over here. And then we had kids. No, That's, that is not what happened. We actually, no, there, there was actually a realization that we were walking in a level of passion that was also a bit of unhealthy bondage. And there's a balance and there's learning and there's growing. We used to be super extreme. I mean, super extreme, but in love for God. I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but my point is we've gone back and forth and kind of like, Holy Spirit, what's your way? And he's not the God of rules and regulations. He is the God of relationship, you know? And so there's freedom. I thought you said this before, but you know what? I'm feeling like that's not really, that's not really your way. And, and it's okay to learn and grow and experiment. And I'm just learning and I'm, I'm on a journey and I'm not perfect. 
and I'll never be, and I don't have to be, I get to be a child. Children don't have to get everything right all the time. In fact, they don't at all. That's what their parents are there for. And as long as we're with our daddy, we don't have anything to fear. But this week, I just went to go say a word that starts with S-H because sometimes I just like to say it because it's like it fits the situation and it feels good, you know? Yeah. And I, I literally, I could, I just, I could feel his presence kind of go, like, it's like I got that moment of like, oh, yeah, you know, like that pleasure that you get, well, that I get, I mean, I don't know if everybody else is like that, but it's just kind of like sometimes to like say a piercing word, I'm like, yes, fire, but anyways, I could feel his presence go, and am I happy in that moment? Now, I'm not saying that that's going to be bad all the time and that I'm not going to, it's, it's a journey. I, I was just feeling a pulling back, a pulling back, and I could feel an absence of his presence. And what my testimony is in that moment is, you are better. I like you better. You're so much better. Your fullness and your presence is so much better. And yeah, that felt good to say for a minute, but it's rubbish compared to you. Your presence is more. Your presence is all I need. I want your presence to fill this place. And so I'm giving that up right now. But then there's also just this, there is a, we walk in a freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So we're not going to make up rules and go, don't do this ever, don't do this ever. Now, there are some things that it's like, don't do that ever. But for us, and with, sometimes with my mouth, there, there's been just like a journey where there was a while that I felt like God was saying there was this fear that we have of never do anything that's even like slightly, slightly not perfectly holy. And God wanted it to shake us free of that. And so there were seasons and journeys. And I'm not going to tell you what to do and what not to do. But we have the Holy Spirit. And there are things that will come out of our mouth. And most of the bad things that come out of our mouth are just about our brothers and sisters. With our mouth, we bless the Lord and we curse our brothers and sisters. And that word curse is not a light word. That word curse signifies, and if we go into the Greek of what the meaning is, we are partnering with the devil when we speak ill, even in a Christian way. Oh, I'm just, oh, there's just these problems. Well, if there's a problem, keep it inside your head and bless the person Bless them and look to Jesus. Jesus, what do you want to release on this beloved child of yours? What do you want to release? It would be a place of intercession in releasing what he wants to release. And if forgiveness needs to be released to them for hurting you, then forgiveness is done. And forgiveness is not saying that it's okay. It's acknowledging that it's wrong and that you're releasing vengeance to God and that we're blessing in place of it, because he, like Martin Luther King, gives us love and identity within us that overflows into a place of strength where we can bless those who curse us. I think that's all I have to say now. Oh, I forgot a verse. Did you read Psalm 1611? Nope. Okay. Would you like to read it? Yeah, I do want to read it. It's a good culmination of everything you're saying. Yes. 
So back to he is the ultimate pleasure source. I just want to read Psalm 1611. This is, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is not a lesser pleasure source. He is everything that our souls were made for. And in any way that we haven't experienced that yet, it doesn't mean that it's not because that he is not that. It's just that we need to know more. We need to press in more. And in most times, we need to let go of things and taste and see that he is good. It's hard to taste and see that he is good if we aren't spending any time in his word or prayer. It's true. Even me, even us, we've been walking with the Lord passionately for a long time. And if I don't get into the word of God, if I don't take time in the word and in prayer, there's just, I can settle for inferior sources because I'm not captivated and cultivating his presence regularly and filling myself with nutrients and reigniting, being reignited by his presence. Not every time we spend with the Lord and get in his word and prayer. And prayer isn't always speaking. Jesus went alone to be with the Father where he wasn't even talking. It can be just silence in his presence to receive from him. Um, did you have another slide? Yep. So it's a great, uh, incredible truth here in Psalm 1611 that everything Dawn's talking about it in those real life testimonies of working this out. And that's where it's like, okay, now in your life, what does that look like for you? Is God's presence the fullness of your joy? And are you aware and attentive to your soul in a way that you can feel when you do certain things that are kind of taking yourself away from God's presence, when you're seeking pleasure in other things in a way that are replacing God. I mean, there's a, that perfect analogy we joke about checks mix sometimes, but, you know, she quotes Psalm 34, 8, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Psalm 63 says, you know, you are the richest of fare. You are the marrow and fatness. Isaiah 55, God says, I am the richest of fare. Taste and see. Well, it's hard to taste and see that God is the richest affair when your mouth is already full of Chex Mix, right? You, you don't taste prime rib if your mouth's full of Chex Mix. You can't even taste, can't it. Even taste it. It's a waste There's of prime no rib. No room, no room in your mouth or your stomach. And that's just, those are biblical pictures of, so it's not about, you know, holding yourself back from the ultimate good and joy. No, it's about saying no to the lesser things so that your soul can be satisfied in the richest affair. And that becomes this dance. We're covered by grace, and that's what Don is communicating, that it's not this, oh, you messed up here, how bad are you? No, it's a journey. We're going to stumble and fall. We're not going to get it right. But it's about becoming aware and attentive to, do we know the difference of having our souls satisfied in God and with God and communing with God and then from that point, saying, okay, so I want to cut out things that, that disconnect me from you. 
or that are those lesser pleasures that I impulsively go after that, that disconnect me from you and don't satisfy me like you do and bring glory to you through that. So a couple things to, to kind of close our time, just to make sure we're clear. When we talk about self-control, there's a question in your lift notes. So what's the goal? What's the vision behind self-control? Hopefully we've established that it's very simple, being satisfied in God. That's the goal of self-control. Mm. Proverbs 29, 18 has a, has a great in, word on this as it says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained or calf, cast off restraint. But happy is the one who keeps the law. So this is so key because this is about vision. If your vision is to be satisfied in God, then that's where self-control comes in. That's where you have some self-restraint because you know that self-restraint is needed in order to fulfill the vision. That's why it goes on to say, happy is the one who keeps the law. I mean, that upends, completely turns on its head the world's idea about law regulations and rules. If God's ever putting forth a rule and a regulation, it's because he's trying to restrain you from the checks mix that's not going to satisfy the mud in the slums so that you can be happy and satisfied in God. So we have to have that vision clear, that self-control is about the best yes possible, which is knowing God, being satisfied in God, and honoring and glorifying God as our greatest treasure. So it's the joy of knowing God, the great joy, the highest joy of knowing God, communing with him, experiencing him in every possible way in life, which gives us an assignment for the rest of life. <laughs> that we can never be bored. We should never be bored with God because there's always more. There's always a deeper level of communion with him and experience of his presence that's certainly not tied to just Sunday morning. It's 24-7. That's the whole idea of following Jesus with the spirit in us now. The veil is torn. His presence is acceptable. We come into that throne of grace and we never leave. <laughs> the idea is to dwell in his presence. The Bible says we are being dwelt in, we are being built up into a dwelling place of the spirit. He lives with us, within us, and it's, that's the idea of life now. Communion with God at all times. Do we have it perfect? Not even, not even close. No one does, but that's our assignment for the rest of life is to continue to, with childlike hunger and excitement, say, God, what's, what's kind of the next way? Oh, man, I've experienced you. That's great. Oh, man, I had a radical encounter with you at church, in this setting, when that song sang, or when, when I came forward for prayer, or you know, in a conversation with a friend, that, oh, my gosh, God, your presence was so tangible, so real, and that's just supposed to be a taste and see that he is good that you continue to pursue after the richest affair. Just because it happened once doesn't mean you're done. No way. That's the exact opposite. That's God just flirting with you, saying, I have all, in a, all eternity of this in increasing measure for you. So come follow me, he says, because I keep getting better and bigger and wider and deeper in how you can know me in this life and into all eternity. And so with that great joy in mind, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. All things. 
They do it to receive a perishable prize. We do it for an imperishable prize. Let's just stop there. That's a life-transforming verse, if we can grab onto it. He takes that picture of athletes, which most of us know pretty well, and they are incredible examples of self-control. Incredible. Mm -hmm. They make unbelievable sacrifices. Talk about a vision that brings forth restraint. When they have the vision to be the best at something, to be the best in the world, or to compete in the, you know, with the best in the world, you cannot be lackadaisical about it. You cannot aim at nothing and expect to hit that goal. You have to have an unbelievable level of restraint, discipline. And Paul's saying that's to be esteemed if you bring it into life with Christ. That's, to be, that's a great example. That's a great model for knowing God, which is far more valuable than the, imperish, or than the perishable prize they're going after. We've got something of eternal value, knowing God. So we, he says this, it's in the, in the clause, it's an implied. So we do the same things athletes do. So we, for the imperishable prize of knowing God, exercise self-control in everything. That's quite a phrase. A healthy challenge. Do we exercise, do I exercise self-control in everything? Like an elite athlete with eyes on the prize, my eyes are on the prize of knowing God more and giving God the maximum glory through my soul being satisfied in him. So to that end, my joy in his glory, am I exercising precision self-control in everything? Because I don't want to eat any Chex Mix because the prime rib's available. That's that, that's that mindset. Are you going to be perfect at it? No. As the beginning, we're probably not going to be good at it. It's a growing journey. The word self-control means to resolutely control one's own impulses and desires. I like that because it is honest about the fact that until heaven, I don't know, until Jesus takes us home, there will be things that tempt us to sin. If even Jesus was tempted to sin, let's not, in, let's not get ahead of ourselves and think that we're going to get to a place where sin doesn't have its allure, its enticement. So the Bible's honest. It will. Self-control says that we are resolutely in control of those impulses and desires. Not that they don't exist, but that we have a better yes so that we don't feed them. Because mm -hmm. we want to go after the richest of fare. Mm -hmm. The opposite, if we think about it, is a place, if we're honest, like none of us wants to be there. If the opposite of self-control is to be controlled by your impulses and desires. That's what our culture is saying. Hey, that's a good thing. Anything that says otherwise, that's oppressive. That is a lie. That is the pathway to destruction. Bondage. Bondage. It is not freedom. You can't control yourself. Yeah, if you can't control yourself, you're a slave to sin. So Paul says. And so let's flip it on its head and say self-control is freedom. Self-control is freedom from being 
controlled by impulsive desires that are gonna take you down the road to destruction, that dishonor God and make you ultimately unhappy. <laughs> so self-control is freedom from that bondage to those lesser yeses. It's the motivation to say no because you have the best yes. And then Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and we'll conclude here. And he says, therefore, I like the NLT translation, therefore, I run with purpose in every step. That's what we want to move towards. Because of the vision is so great of the God-honoring place of having our soul fully satisfied in God. We want to exercise self-control in everything. So there's a task. There's an assignment. There's some goals for the year. We, 2023, we put out nine goals in every single one of those areas. This is a perfect example. To increase your joy in God is the ultimate goal in all of those areas. And so part of our response is self-control in every one of those areas so that we can move towards that greater joy in God. And therefore, to be able to say, like Paul says, I run with purpose in every step. Those nine goal areas are huge, important areas of our life. Let's get those nine down. Can we say by the end of these three weeks, I run with purpose in nine of the most important areas of my life. You know what? How about one? One's good. Paul's saying this has captivated him. This is no small deal. Run with purpose in every step. Every single thing you do in life has an aspect of self-control because your eyes are on the prize of the greatest joy in God possible that will bring God the greatest glory. close it out and pray. Yeah. Before we pray, I felt like God wanted me to share one last thing. And that is a practical tool. And I felt like he was giving a reminder to arm ourselves with scriptures for the areas where we have weakness, for the areas where we have area where we have character growth that needs to happen, where there is anxiety, where we need trust, where there is bitterness, where we need forgiveness, where there is anger, where we need love, whatever struggle, where there is fear, same as anxiety, similar, but not to get down on ourselves that oh, no, I'm not perfect yet. Oh, I've just failed. I don't feel his presence, you know, because we're human. We have emotions. And sometimes things just come in and they can be heavy and we don't really feel super connected to God. I'll say two tools here. One, mm -hmm. arm yourself with scriptures that are tactical and practical and speak to whatever you need his power resurrection life and remedy in. Memorize them. Memorization is a lost art. 
If you can't memorize the whole thing or if you need reminders, I do this often. I have little note cards that I carry with me. If you need to put it on your phone, put it on your phone. I highly recommend getting away from the screen as much as possible because there's so many bells and whistles. There are places in the brain that are empty when we look at paper that can be filled with both the depth of self-reflection as well as the whisper of God that we miss when our brains are being occupied by bells and whistles. Just throwing that out there. But scriptures, arm yourself with scriptures because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. That is both our spiritual bodies and our physical bodies all at once. His word is powerful and his word is good. And his word can bring us into his presence and also worship. Where you feel fear, where things feel overwhelming, start worshiping. God, I just thank you that you've got this that you are going to lead me step by step, that we are, I am going to be more, more than a conqueror. I am going to be victorious in your name in this. And even though I feel overwhelmed by all of these things and I can't quite seem to figure it out, I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm going to throw it all at the altar in a fire and worship and say, you got this and I'm with you. I'm your kid and I'm going to see victory. Thank you, Jesus. So yeah, those are my tools. All right, let's close it with a very quick blessing in prayer. Thank you, God, that the truth is that in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So by your Spirit's power and under the grace and the forgiveness when we stumble, by your Spirit's power, may we run with purpose in every step. And all God's people who are receiving this said, Amen. Amen.